In today's episode, we sit down with our friend Kelly, who got an abortion 30 years ago at the same Planned Parenthood that we do abortion ministry at down in Nashville. Not only that, but she talks about how the abortion affected her life in the aftermath and some of the things that Planned Parenthood didn't warn her about. But more importantly, she talks about how God is working in her life today and how God is working in the lives of young mothers around her. Stick around to find out more. God. I'm here with Kelly. Uh, we met outside of a Planned Parenthood one day. I was out doing abortion ministry, uh, and Kelly was out uh, praying around the Planned Parenthood, uh, just talking with people who were out doing the abortion ministry. Uh, and I found out that she had an incredible story, and I wanted to make sure that that story was shared with everybody because not only is her story itself awesome, uh, but I think it serves as a fantastic message uh, for a lot of young mothers out there who may be considering abortion, who don't uh, may not fully know uh, and understand the consequences or the information that's available to them. Um, and so we're going to kind of dig into Kelly's story today uh, and talk about, um, yeah, kind of just a, a full spectrum of, of what her story was. So uh, Kelly, without further ado, um, yeah, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. We can start talking about, um, maybe let's just start with um, early life, like, you know, uh, okay. what, what, yeah. Okay. On. My name is Kelly. Um, I'm 51. I was born in 1970 in um, Gallatin, Tennessee. Yep. I was born to a single mother. Um, early on in my life, um, there was some painful experiences that I had walked through as a little girl. Yeah. Um, started with, you know, in some of this, this past week while I was, I was thinking about what led me to abortion. Yeah. Um, and as a young child, um, I was abused. Um, I was also sexually abused yeah. and it formed, um, fear. Like, like there was a root of fear planted in me yeah. and a, without even somebody telling me, I knew I had to keep it a secret. Yeah. Um, and fear, fear of fear of getting in trouble. There, there was a fear of getting in trouble because of what somebody else was doing sure. that um, kind of formed how my life would follow. Yeah. Um, I had a good childhood. Um, my dad um, that I grew up with adopted me. Hmm. My birth father's never been in my life. Yeah. Um, so there's some rejection, some, you know, there's, there's some stuff. Um, there's some rejection issues, some abandonment issues that I struggled with, um, abuse issues yeah. and, and leading on up, um, I grew up in church. My mom got saved after she had me, yep. probably I was about one year old when she mm -hmm. gave her life to Jesus. Yep. So I grew up in church. Um, I went to a Christian school up yep. until the eighth grade when mm -hmm. I entered middle school, um, you know, there was some deep pain rooted in me by that point, yeah. um, you know, of wanting to, you know, that having the mentality to want to escape from sure. some of that pain. Yep. Um, in junior, toward the end of my junior high, early high school, I began experimenting 
with alcohol, um, smoking pot. And, you know, I can look back at it now, you know, back then I was just having fun. Um, it was what other people, well, not everybody was doing it. Um, in my head, I thought everybody Everybody said, let's do it. Um, but it was a way that I I realized under the influence, I wasn't as scared. Mm, It took away some of the the fear that drove me in my inner being. Um, I was, I was more social. Yeah. I wasn't so insecure. Um, so it kind of became part of my weekends. Hmm. Um, we would go to parties. Um, I got in a relationship with a guy. Um, I think I was 16 yeah. when right at 16 and, um, we began having sex. Um, you know, I was looking, I I was, I was like always on a course. I was looking for something to feel. Mm. I was looking for something to fill a void in my life, in my heart. Like there was some stuff broken in me. There was some stuff broken by other people. Um, and I was looking for validation, wanting to be loved, something to fix this brokenness inside of me. And um, at this point where I'm at, um, this relationship filled some of that void. Um, I believed I loved him at this point as a teenager. Um, But at 17, I ended up We'd probably been dating for about a year and a half, mm. committed to each other. Um, at 17, I got pregnant. Yeah. I found out probably, I'm going to say March or April of 1988. Okay. I was yep. 17. Um, I wouldn't turn 18 until May. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pause you right there. Okay. Because I think that's, you, you brought up a lot of uh, really great points. First one, I think was... Uh, you know, out partying, you thought everybody was doing it, but maybe not everybody was looking yeah. back, you know, um, I think that's an important point. You know, we've done a lot of youth ministry and, mm-hmm. and working with uh, kids in uh, my home neighborhood and that kind of thing. Um, and I think that's an important, important point to bring up is that you may feel pressured. You may feel the, the pool to like get involved in all of that. Yeah. Um, and it may seem like everybody's doing it, but it's certain you're not, your options aren't limited. Like you're not going to be outcast. Uh, right. just because you, you make a choice not to go into those right. things for sure. N- next point I, w- I want to touch on was um, you felt like you were looking for this void or you were really looking to escape. It sounds like, yes. Um, and I think that's important too, because even, I mean, not only children or like, you know, uh, teens or anything like that, but adults, a lot of times will turn to, you know, whatever they feel like they can to, uh, to suppress or like to numb yes. um, some of the emotions yes. and the feelings that they're having. And I'm sure, you know, as a teenager, you're definitely not going to realize that that's what you're doing. You're just going to, Hey, I feel less bad whenever I'm drinking or partying or, you know, smoking. Um, I feel less bad. So I'm just going to keep feeling less bad, you know? Um, and like as a teenager, you're not nearly grown up enough to understand that. Um, and so, you know, for parents out there, that's really, I think an important point to like understand that maybe, you know, if you catch your kid drinking or smoking or whatever, Maybe it's just them experimenting, but there also may be something else underlying that you need to need to pay attention to, you know, um, and, and understand why they're, why they're doing that. I think that's important. Um, okay. So you're 17, uh, you find out you're pregnant. Um, 
talk me through what your decisions were like, not only like for you personally, um, how did, but how did your boyfriend at the time react? How did your family react to that news? Um, and then kind of what was your decision-making process from there? Um, I grew up, I, my mom had me in church yeah. every time the doors were opened yeah. and, and, and my mom also parented from a, a place of fear. Yeah. She was afraid I was going to make some of the same mistakes that she mean? made. Yeah. And I know that now at the time I thought, man, she's just trying to control every yeah. move I'm making. Yeah. Um, but I had some fear of my mom. Yeah. Um, my mama was hurt and, and, you know, she struggled with some anger. Yeah. Um, sometimes I was the brunt of that. Um, I love my mom. She was a good mom and, and she tried to protect me. Yeah. Um, my mom, I, that my guiding factor in why I chose an abortion was yeah. fear of telling my mom. Hmm. She didn't know. Yeah. She, I, I had no conversation with anybody hmm. outside of my boyfriend. Yeah. And I don't, some of the, um, the conversations we had, I don't remember that much, mm-hmm. but knowing where I was and the fear I had, you know, I chose an abortion based on what I now know was just a lie that the devil had told me. You can't tell this is your way out. Mm, No one ever has to know it'll all be over. And that's why I chose it. Um, and it, and, and, but the driving factor was fear. And, and as a young age, I had learned to keep secrets. I had learned to hide stuff. Um, and all those secrets was driven by fear, fear of, of talking to somebody, fear of, of telling, um, well, not only is it going to expose I'm pregnant, but it's going to expose that I'm having sex, which is going to freak my mom out. Um, so how did, how did your boyfriend react to it as well? Whenever you told him, I don't even know that I really gave him an input in this yeah. he was aware of of he was aware of the fear i had yeah um i don't i don't really remember yeah. i mean that's i don't really remember yeah. how he reacted um i think he probably would have done whatever you done whatever decided. Yeah. i decided to do yeah yeah okay so um yeah I think that's fair. Um, I think a lot of guys in that situation at that age are probably yeah. uncertain of what to do. Uh, yeah. And so they don't know how they're going to react. You know, I'm sure he was afraid of the same right. um, exact things of exposure of, you know, being, you know, shamed or something right. like that. Um, and, and to be honest, that's what a lot of what we see whenever we go down and we do abortion ministry is we see, um, well, primarily I would say the customer is, uh, young minority females that go right. in there, uh, who are low income. Right. Um, but then the, the flip side of that is like very, uh, wealthy families, 
who drive in in a Mercedes Benz, who's, uh, you know, the mother is, is dragging a young daughter in there right. because she, she's ashamed. And then she's yelling at us saying that she's a Christian uh, and that we're doing the wrong thing right. by trying to talk somebody out of an abortion. Right. Um, you know, we, we get a lot of that. Um, and so we see a lot of that same shame as like a, right. a factor in the decision-making process, uh, which, which I think is a huge problem, at least in my mind, because like, it's not a shame to have a baby, you know, right. you may, if you're a teenager or even, you know, young adult or whatever it may yeah. be your situation, you may be not in an ideal uh, right. situation to have a baby. Um, but there's certainly nothing shameful about it, right. you know? Um, and that's where I think maybe we as a church have failed because, you know, on, on the front side, like obviously we do abortion ministry. Um, but part of that is making sure that mothers know that the church is there for them. Like you, yes. you said that you were going to I church at the time. I grew up in church. Yeah. I grew up in church. Yeah. Um, but there was something that I didn't feel like I could go to the church with yeah. this. Yep. I, I, you know, when you know that you're not living how God's, yeah. how you're being taught. Yeah this is how you live yeah. biblically. This is how you live. This is how, and, and coming from the place, man, God was the punisher. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I had a fear of God, but it wasn't a reverent fear. Yeah. I had, I had the fear that, you know, he, he wanted to catch me messing up, yep. punish me, send me to hell. Like that was the, that was how I saw God yeah. as, as I didn't see him as love at that point in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a list of rules and I was breaking them all. Yeah. And, yeah. <clears throat> and I didn't feel like I could approach the church. Yeah. I, I didn't. Um, and you know what I had said in church service where ab abortion was spoke about, yeah. you know, I think that the place that the church misses when it comes to abortion is that there's probably women in their congregation that are sitting there in secret and in silence, yeah. afraid of being exposed, yep. afraid of being judged. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I think that that's kind of been one of my big points on abortion is that mm -hmm. one, you can't rely on politicians to solve any problems. Yeah. Right. So uh, I'm never going to rely on a politician to make a law uh, to outlaw abortion to completely right. end, end abortion. That that's not going to happen. Even if it happens in conservative states, let's say you know court cases happen and, and Roe v. Wade is overturned and states can determine, there's still going to be states where abortion right. is legal no matter what. Um, and so you can't rely on that. You also can't rely on um, you know society or culture or anything like that telling young mothers, young women um, where to go on this. And so I think the church needs to be very proactive in that, uh, yes, you know, abortion is wrong. Uh, right. absolutely. But if you have an unplanned pregnancy, if something happens and you make a decision, uh, then the church will be there to support you. And, right. and my, my shtick really, uh, with, you know, research and our whole ministry is that, uh, the church should be responsible for solving a lot of our societal or cultural absolutely. problems, abortion being one of them. And we can prevent it largely if the church, if the church was so loving to people that, they knew like, Hey, if I mess up, if I, uh, I have go. an unplanned pregnancy, then I can go to this church right here and they will make sure that I'm taken care of and they yeah. won't judge me. They'll love me. They may tell me that, Hey, you know, I I'm living in a way right. that that isn't ideal, right. uh, but that they'll love me and that they'll still make sure that I am taken care of. 
Um, I think if the church could do that, then we would drastically change um, abortion and how it's seen in society. Um, And so, yeah, I think that, I mean, again, your story is just so perfect for, I think what we see all the time down at Planned Parenthood um, and, and that people are going to church, they, you know, may believe something, but then they're not they end up getting an abortion because they're so ashamed and yeah. they're, they're not willing to take that problem to the church. Instead, yeah. they want to keep it to themselves and they want to keep it secret, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, you're 17, uh, you're, uh, you know, afraid of your mom, um, and you make the decision to get an abortion. Um, tell me what kind of information is provided to you about the abortion itself. What did, you know, the clinic itself, because, this is a point where I, I want to highlight real quick is that whenever, whenever Kelly and I met, uh, not only were we at an abortion clinic, we were at yeah. the abortion clinic where you had your abortion yes. done. Right. Yes. Um, so like I today am still fighting against the people who committed right. your abortion, yes. uh, you know, years ago, um, almost 34 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that is terrifying, uh, but very important to bring up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, please tell me, you know, like w- what information did you have? What did they tell you? That kind of thing. Um, I was sitting in my bathroom floor um, upstairs and in my parents' home going through the yellow pages looking for abortion clinics. And I made the phone call. I'm 17. And they said, yes, we can do an abortion, Mm -hmm. but you have to be 18. Mm -hmm. So I had to wait yep. until I turned 18. Oh, wow. So, um, so how many, remind me how many months until you turned 18? I'm going to say it was probably about four weeks. I okay. don't know uh, the exact yeah. amount, but, um, I don't remember it being like an extremely long time. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to say probably about a month, yeah. um, that I had to wait. Um, I don't remember getting any counseling. Yeah. I remember, talking to the, I went to the abortion clinic one time and it was to get an abortion. Yeah. Um, I lived North of Nashville and I called back. I made the appointment as a legal adult, a kid, um, and made the appointment and me and my boyfriend drove down there. And I'm going to say that the abortion happened in June of 1988. That's just, I turned 18 at the end of May. Um, so I think it probably happened in June of 1988. Um, I don't know the exact date. Um, it was a day I tried to erase from my mind by whatever means necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember, going up to the desk when we got there, walking in there um, by myself and walking up to that desk, signing in, there being a room full of women, Mm -hmm. um, taking some kind of pill, whether it was to relax me or whatever, um, and sitting down and waiting for my name to be called. Um, Going back, to have the abortion. Um, you know, I go back and and you're I was in there with one doctor and three nurses and you know, I don't remember receiving any kind of counseling. Yeah. Um, 
some of that day is still a blur, whether yeah. it's God oh, protecting sure. me yeah, sure. um, or it's just not showed me that. Um, I remember the abortion. Yeah. Um, Did they give you any kind of like risks associated with it or? I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they gave me some papers or whatever. Sure. I, I, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, Definitely no counseling though. Where no, they sat I, down I don't remember like, any counseling. Here are your options. No, yeah. I don't remember any counseling yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the thing is, I don't know what, what I got in there and experience yeah. wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna share on this because yeah, I feel like do. somebody yeah. needs to, yep. to hear this. Um, it's probably one of the most painful, um, experience, physically painful yeah. experiences of my life. It was terrifying. Um, I was held down by three nurses, not sedated. Yeah. I was awake. Yeah. Um, the doctor yelled at me to be still or I would hemorrhage. Hmm. Um, he performed a vacuum abortion. Yep. I know that because I could hear it. Yep. Um, the sound of my abortion and abortion being performed in yep. that way yep. is not quiet. Yeah. It's loud. Um, that I would go on to hear for 30 years. Um, Initially, when that was over, I got dressed. um, I got dressed and I probably was in some sort of shock. Um, I knew I had messed up. I knew in that moment. Something was wrong. This is bad. This is real bad. Um, we left, um, I ended up staying at his mom's house the next couple days. Um, she didn't know what had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was kind of in bad shape. Um, you know, I'm not gonna, this is something that, that through the process of healing, um, you know, there was an initial relief, like, I don't, I don't have to, this can be, I don't have to deal with this anymore. There was an initial relief that it was over, but what would follow was much worse. Was much worse. Was much worse. Okay. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, you go down to Planned Parenthood, go through with the abortion, um, and uh, what happens, I guess, in the aftermath of that? Um, can you talk me through yeah. not only, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, just talk through what happens afterwards. Um, me and my boyfriend didn't stay together much longer after that. Yeah. Um, shame, guilt. Okay remorse, regret, all of that, um, started to really settle in. Um, I was broken before, but now I was very broken. Um, 
alcohol and drugs became um, my go-to to escape the the thoughts, yeah. um, the sounds, because I literally could hear yeah. the sound of my abortion yeah. every day, night and day. Yeah. Like it was a torment. Yeah. It tormented my mind. Alcohol and drugs quieted that. Yeah. Yep. It quieted. It quieted the torment that came directly yeah. from having an abortion. Yeah. Um, more promiscuous, you know, more seeking and searching just for something to make me feel better yeah. by whatever means necessary. Um, you know, the thing that I didn't realize that it was going to do is I, I ended up um, getting married at 23. And a year later, got pregnant. Yeah. Um, and through my pregnancy, I was so afraid. Um, now, from, from the mindset, I'm just going to go from the mindset I was in at yeah. that point. I was afraid God was going to punish me through my child, yeah. whether it was that he was going to take its life. Yeah. Something was going to be wrong with him. Um, I was I was waiting I was waiting for my punishment yeah. and, and somewhere my mind had not heard the gospel yeah. of Jesus yeah. growing up in church and still didn't understand, understand yeah. that God wasn't out to, to get me yeah. Um, yeah. and to punish me. Um, and that pregnancy and even into the birth um, of my first son, he's mm -hmm. 28 today. <laughs> so, um, you know, I lived in fear. I went on to have two more, two more kids, yeah. and and I lived in a fear with all three of them that yeah, that I believe it something bad was going to happen. Yep. I was waiting for my punishment, and something bad was going to happen. Um, but alcohol and drugs um, became uh more a part of my life yeah. you know i was i would i was in and out of church yeah. um you know i would try to clean myself up sure. and 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 serve god because i knew that was the right i knew that was what i needed yeah. i knew that it was god that i needed yeah. but i always felt like i had to clean myself up yeah. to present myself yeah. to god um, which it, it's never going to happen. I mean, you never yeah. get, you don't clean yourself up yeah. for God. He's the one that cleans you up. Um, you know, I would go on to, um, three marriages, yeah. three divorces, three children, um, drug addiction, alcoholism, um, trying to medicate, yeah. trying to avoid, pain, avoid life until the alcohol and drugs took me over. Yeah. And, and, you know, just, you know, became a stronghold as, as, as the best way I know it, it had a hold on my life. Yeah. It had a grip on my life and I would get clean, um, get sober, stay that way for a little while, start going back to church, you know, and it was, I just couldn't, it wasn't, 
it wasn't lasting. It was, it was never lasting. I did a lot of, um, over the years, treatment centers, um, you know, suicidal. That's the, that's one thing that, that sprung out of, um, abortion was, I thought about suicide a lot. I don't know that I did that before I had an abortion, but I thought about suicide a lot throughout my life. Um, I wasn't ever brave enough, um, until I was, um, I was scared of dying. I was, I was, I was scared of dying and going to hell. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the thing that kept me from doing that. Um, yeah. Let me ask you a question because this is a this is what I know. Like we'll we'll get some uh, mm-hmm. some pro-abortion hate uh, for this episode, and so uh, a discussion point that that's almost always brought up to me is that um, like you bring up alcoholism, drug addiction, yeah. um, suicidal ideations uh, in the aftermath of an abortion. Yes. Tell me, do you think that it was um, because of your decision to get an abortion that you then uh, had those issues or and this is going to be, you know, the, the claim that the uh, pro-abortion, uh, you know, group makes is that um, it was because of the societal pressures around you. Do you think that it was because, um, you know, your your family or your friends or your mom or the church, uh, because they had negative views on abortion, uh, that that then drove you? Or do you think that it was because, like, you felt so much pain and guilt? I from felt it? so much pain and guilt. Yeah, yeah. Um that pushed me it the abortion pushed me over the edge um you know i started the first time i had my abortion at 18 i started taking antidepressants at 23 right after the birth of my son because you know when you're coming from a place and you've got this new baby in your arms but you know you've taken the life of the first one there's there's something that kept me from just yeah. being able to give myself totally yeah. Yeah. to life yeah. um, because I couldn't, I couldn't forget my first child yeah. that I had taken her life. Yeah. And I think that's another important point because again, the uh, pro-abortion industry will time and time again say that uh, it's not a baby until, you know, put a, <laughs> it's put, you know, insert imaginary line here. Um, and I think that's something that we see a lot from, from young mothers who have gone through with an abortion before is that, uh, if they go through with an abortion and then they have a child later on, it's not until sometimes it's not until, or, you know, somewhere in between maybe that they realize that at every point from conception to birth, that is still a child. That's still a human life. Um, now people will make the argument of viability, uh, that it's not viable inside the womb. Um, I mean, we've had friends who have had kids in the 20 week window, uh, 20 something weeks. Um, I mean, and then once a baby is born, it still obviously relies on its mother and its family to survive. So viability, uh, is far from a legitimate argument. Um, but again, a lot of young mothers will realize, um, once they have a kid that, it's a, it, that is a human life from conception all the way through. And once you hold a baby in your arms, I think it's, it's pretty hard to, it's very, uh, very, um, yes, real, even yeah. more real. Yes, yeah. for sure. I had already, um, you know, after I had the abortion and, and through the years I had, um, you know, I had dreamed yeah. on two separate occasions about my baby. Hmm. Um, 
in the first dream I had, she was a baby. Yeah. Um, the second dream I had was probably 10 to 12 years later. Yeah. Um, and she was a little girl. Right. Um, so, I mean, she was a baby. She yeah. was my baby. Yeah. Um, created by God. Yeah. And, and it was probably the one, not probably, I've said this before. I've made a lot of bad decisions and a lot of bad choices in yeah. my life. Yeah. Most of those through a change of direction in your life yeah. can, you can work toward, um, making amends you can you can work toward making a situation better by yeah. by living differently sure like that's the one decision that i made that that can you can never amend i could never amend it yeah. i'm amending it today but that's the one thing that if i could go back and change about everything that's yeah. the one thing that i would change yeah. yeah that's the one that's the one yeah yeah so um. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So you're at a point where you start getting uh, addicted to drugs and um, alcohol, right? Uh -huh. um, tell me how that kind of like plunges you into um, what's next. I went to, the first time I went to treatment, I was 31. It was 2001. I had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. Yep. Um, that was my first treatment. Yeah. Um, like I said, I could, I could get a little bit of time clean, but you know, when you're living, like I had this secret that I couldn't expose to anybody yeah. when you're living from a place that you're still hiding, hiding from yourself, hiding yeah. from the world, hiding, um, you know, there's a saying that secrets keep you sick. Yeah. And this was a secret that kept me very sick. Yeah. Um, I went through four treatment centers, three detoxes, mm. two or three mental institutions yeah. um, on and every kind of antidepressant, nothing fixed, yeah, <laughs> nothing I'm fixed sure. me. Um, I tried everything to fix me, men, drugs, alcohol, yeah. um, antidepressants. I mean, shopping, anything. Yep. Um, periodically, I would try Jesus for a while. Yeah. Um, there was something that kept, well, it was, it was the abortion, my yeah. abortion that kept me from, it was like, I didn't feel like I could take that to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was so much shame and guilt associated with that, yeah. that it was the one thing that I didn't feel like I could, that I could take to him yeah. for whatever reason, you know, cause I don't, I believe I grew up in churches that preached the love of God, mm -hmm. but that isn't what I you took heard. Yeah, yeah. I heard I'm doing all this stuff bad. And, yeah. and, and, you know, and I carried that with me through adulthood, you know, in bad decision after, you know, just living outside the will of God is, 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 is how I lived yeah. for the majority. Um, you know, I put my kids through a lot. I put my family through a lot. Sure. Um, my kids suffered the worst yeah. um, from my alcoholism and my drug addiction. Yeah. 
I mean, they watched me go through it. They went through it with me. My parents had to help, um, help raise, help me help, help raise them because I, alcohol and drugs took such a hold of my life that, that I could disappear. Hmm. You know, I could, um, you know, and it took me down roads that, and I did things for alcohol, for drugs that, that never in a million years would I have thought that I would have done. Um, you know, it just took over me. It took over me. Um, I feel like I'm nearing the good part. All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, uh, before you get there, let's okay. take a quick break. Okay. All right. We're back. Um, okay. So like you said, getting into the good part here, um, let's talk about, you felt like you were kind of trying to work your own way back to salvation kind of is what it sounds mm-hmm. like. You're trying to always get yourself clean, go back. Uh, but you weren't fully repenting. Uh, mm-hmm. you weren't like willing to, to completely surrender to God. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me what's next. What all right. Next? Um, March, I'm just gonna, um, 2017, I had, moved out of the city from my, my family. And, you know, at this point, at this point in my life, like my stepdad didn't want me on the property because he didn't trust me. Um, I was out of the wheel. Um, I didn't have a home. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a job. Um, you know, I had lost a few homes through the process and and that in turn, that meant my kids lost their homes also. Um, so basically beginning of 2018 i'm homeless jobless um bent on destruction um bent on destruction um whether it was you know i was running all i know is that i was running from something that i that i literally just could not face and the thought of getting sober terrified me because then i was gonna have to deal with everything in my past that I had done to hurt everybody. Um, But March of 2018, um, I had been into mental institutions before for being suicidal. Um, March 14th, um, I was living in a drug house and about four o'clock in the morning, I cut my wrist. Um, you know, what I noticed in that moment, you know, I had been up for a while, um, is that I didn't feel the pain yeah. at all. Um, and I don't know I, I, whether it was just a, just a, a gut cry for help. Yeah. Somebody help me. Yeah. Um, because at that point I didn't want to live, but I was terrified of dying. Yeah in the shape that I was in apart from God. Yeah. Um, I knew where I would end up. Um, and for about three days on March 17th, I made a call to my daughter. Um, at that time she's, she's 26 now. So she was roughly 22. Mm Um, I made a phone call to my daughter. I want to back up. There was, I had been home to visit um, two separate weekends and I had went to, they talked me into going to church yep. and, and I went to the church that 
God had been setting people up in my life without me knowing it. Yeah. And, and, and I had visited a church previously um, because my daughter invited me to it. She was going to youth group. I hmm. wasn't in church. She yeah. was. Yeah. And she invited me to church and the pastor was, um, had had a problem with alcohol Yeah. and he had five years sober and he was preaching. Um, so, you know, there was a seed planted that, sure. okay. Um, so when she picked me up March 17th, she picked me up and said, this is the last time because she had came and picked me up places before yeah. with my promises of I'll never leave. I'll never do this again, yeah. only to leave and do it again. Yeah. Um, she said, this is the last time I'll ever pick you up. Yeah. Um, don't ever call me if you leave again. Yeah. And I didn't leave again. Yeah. Um, I went home. Uh, the next Sunday was Palm Sunday, March 25th, 2018. Yep. And I agreed to go to church with her, um, to that same church. And I sat in church sweating bullets that day, um, you know, because I'm still kind of detoxing from drugs, detoxing from alcohol, um, and at the end of the service, he gave an altar call and I thought I was going to die before I got to the altar. Hmm. Um, I knew, um, I knew this was it. This was, I knew in my heart that this was it. I'm either yeah. going to do this or I'm going to die. Yeah. I'm either going to sell out to God yeah. or I'm going to die. Yeah. Um, those were my choices. Yeah. This was a matter of me living or dying at this point. Yeah. And um, so I gave my life to Jesus. Palm Sunday, March 25th, 2018. Yeah. I had bandages on my wrist. <laughs> um, I talked to the pastor. He suggested um, he had went through a treatment center. And um, he recommended I go. Which obviously. Um, so I made the phone call that next following Monday. I went to treatment at Place of Hope in Columbia. Yep. Um, I got there on April 13th. My first day of sobriety is April 14th. Um, and this time I went into treatment. All the other times I went in with I'm gonna get this done in 21 days and go home and be a good mom yep. and and everything's gonna be okay I'm just gotta get rid of the alcohol but it was all the root stuff down inside of me yeah. that needed um healing and so I did um place of hope it's in Columbia and you know, I had been to other treatment centers. This one was Christ-centered. Yep. Um, they used uh, the 12 steps of, of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, but it was Christ-centered. It was yeah. biblical teaching. Our um, teacher was a pastor. He, yeah. he owns it, runs it, um, founded it. Um, it was free. Um 
And not long after I got there, look, when I got there, I was, I was pretty messed up that it was hard for me to hold a conversation. Um, you know, my mom, before I went in there, she said, you know, we'll just have to take care of you. Well, it's just like that. She thought her, the rest of her life was going to have to be taken, taking care of me because I, she pretty much lost hope. Um, when I got to place a hope, I went in there knowing if this doesn't work, I'm going to die. Um, with no intention of ever leaving. I I had no intention of leaving. I had, I had no plans other than just getting in this treatment center. I didn't have an outdate. I didn't have a, I've got to hurry up and get home. Um, I knew I could stay up to a year. I ended up staying for 17 months at this treatment center. Um, But I remember sitting in class and this was kind of like, this place was peaceful. It was different than any treatment center I'd been in. Um, And the thing about it that was different was that the presence of God was in this place. Hmm. Um, There was prayer going on in this place. It wasn't just a list of stuff that here's your checklist. Can we pray for you? Um, How can it, it was full of love. Um, And I heard brother Mike say, he read a verse, it was Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he said, and and for y'all, what this means. And for me is that God can take all that bad stuff that you've done, that you've went through and use it to help somebody else. And in that moment, I thought, God, we've got a lot of stuff for you to use. But I got hope in that moment. I had hope that that my life could be different, that instead of harming everybody, that I could help someone. Um, You know, there were a couple of verses that I hung on throughout this. And and my next one was Matthew 633. um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be added. Yeah. So all I had to do was seek God first, do the next right thing, and he would take care of the rest. Yeah. If I could just do that, yeah. just do whatever's in front of me and do the right thing. Um, and, you know, that's just how I had to begin. If it meant get up and make your bed, then that was my next right thing to do. It yeah. was real simple in the beginning. Um, the, the other verse that... Um, was Joel 2.25, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And then it lists all kinds of different locusts. And, you know, to me, those were, those locusts represented some things. They were represented, I'll restore the years that the abortion took. I'll restore the years the alcohol and drugs took. I'll restore the years the abuse took. Like I labeled them with some some things that I knew that the devil had taken from me through lies through manipulation through you know just just a lot of stuff that I knew at this juncture on my path that um you know things were getting better things were getting better I'd probably been there about 60 days um 
and I was walking down the hallway and I realized something's lighter. Yeah. And what was gone was like the desire to drink and, and, and use drugs yeah. was gone. Yeah. It was gone. And I knew that God had taken it. Yeah. Um, you know, God delivered me from alcohol and drugs. He broke that off of me. Yeah. He set me free from that. Yeah. Um, probably in between that 60 and 90 day mark, um, you know, I had begun some habits while I was there. Some recommended habits, yeah. pray and read your Bible. Yeah. Uh, they were, it wasn't forced on you, but I knew I wanted, I wanted to live different. I knew, I knew I wanted to serve God. Yeah. Um, and I dove in from almost from the time I got there with beginning with the start of my relationship with God. And, um, I began reading my Bible. Um, I began praying and talking to the Lord daily, multiple times a day. And, and, um, one day, um, I was on my knees beside my bed and, um, I was talking to the Lord. He had begun to uncover yeah. the abortion, um, you know, and it was in, in, in that moment, in that day that, that I cried out to God, I confessed yeah. my sin. Yeah. I've taken my child's life. Yeah. Like I said, God, forgive me. Yeah. Um, you know, and in that moment, you know, in past times, I think I had, kind of said, God, forgive me for having an abortion, yeah. but shut down from there. This was a, a, a wail, a repentance. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, you've got to take this. Yeah. Um, and I need you, I need to know you've forgiven me for this. I need to be free from this. Yeah. And in that moment, I experienced, like I experienced something that I had never experienced yeah. in church before yeah. or, or anywhere. And, um, I got a revelation. I, like I always say, Jesus met me in my bedroom floor of a treatment center. Yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah. He, his presence entered my, the room and, All I could feel was love. Yeah. I, I was, I got a revelation of his mercy and, and that what he did on the cross was enough. Yeah. Um, that not only did it cover all my other sin, but it, it covered one the, the one that I had yeah. been terrified to take to him. Yeah. Um, and Um, everything changed from that approaching him changed yeah. when, when, when I realized he wasn't out to get me, yeah. he wanted to help me. He wanted yeah. to walk with me. He wanted yeah. to teach me who he was. And it was, he wanted to smash all my preconceived notions of who he was yeah. and show me for himself. I love you. I've always been here for you. You just, you just wouldn't let me. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that's a really important point. And that's something we've been talking about and we'll probably continue to talk about a lot this season is really, you know, if I were to summarize kind of your story, um, whenever you 
began like actually following Jesus is that you tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to do it kind of on your own to kind of, um, you know, you would, uh, you know, be repentant or you would, you know, you would want to be forgiven, but you tried to obtain that, uh, on your own. Yes. And it wasn't until a point where you were like completely humble, completely broken, um, and just like you fully, you know, you came to a place of full surrender. It wasn't this, it wasn't like a partial surrender where you're like, well, I want to let God, you know, I want to be a Christian and I want to let God be in charge of my life, but I also kind of want to have my own decisions. And, and, and I think that's a really important point, not only for like your story itself, but I mean, for, for literally anybody who who even calls themselves a Christian, there's a lot of people I think sitting in church right now who are thinking to to themselves, like, uh, you know, I, I have this, you know, I feel like I'm a Christian or I call myself a Christian. Um, but they feel some sort of friction because they're still trying to serve both masters and they haven't fully surrendered. And sometimes I, you know, sometimes God has to break you, uh, for you to go through that full surrender. Um, and a lot of times it's not until we fully understand the depth of our own sin. I think that we, uh, can get to that place. But, um, I think by understanding our own sin and understanding that the, uh, that we're not going to ever obtain yeah. our own salvation, yes. that, um, you know, we can fully sub- surrender and be completely. I, I mean, none of us can get good enough. We, yeah. we can't get good enough to spend eternity with him. Yeah. It has to be a surrender to him yeah. and accept his, his salvation, yeah. his death on the cross, his resurrection. We, we, it's him. It's yeah. not us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's him. Yep. Um, one other, uh, point I wanted to bring up is, um, you know, after, so you get clean, you get, uh, you know, you're saved, um, you're obeying God. What, um, you know, what does that look like? I guess in the aftermath of, uh, now that you've left the facility and I'm, 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 there's, there's a few things that happen that I think are, are important concerning, yep. um, while I was there for sure. the first time, um, you know, in the, in that, in that moment that he sure. met me in the floor, um, I knew he was leading me to expose it yeah. and tell your story. Mm-hmm. So I told told my story of yeah. my abortion for the first time in treatment in a setting with about 15 men, about four women, just some strangers that, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he told me silence is your enemy. So here we're going to, yeah. we're going to keep speaking this stuff out and, and, you know, the more I've told the, the lighter, everything, you know, once you expose some, some, some secret sin that you've done, once you expose it and let God shine on it, the, the the devil loses his, that stuff loses its power. And, and so I told my story and, and the shame and guilt were gone. The, The shame and guilt were broken. I had told it, there was nothing that the devil could accuse me and remind me of anymore. Um, You know, when I told my story, some crazy things happened with me at church. They they weren't, they're not crazy. I call them signs, wonders and miracles is what I call them um, because that's what they were. But uh, when I told my story, um, in my story, I couldn't name. Now I knew I had a daughter because he had already showed me it was a girl. Yeah. 
Um, but in my story, I wanted to name her, but I, I didn't have a name for her. Mm -hmm. So I called her innocent. Yeah. Um, and so probably, you know, that, that got the wheels turning God, I want to name her and I want her name to mean innocent. Yeah. Um, during all of this process, um, you know, we did a lot of classes. One of our classes was on the vision, um, get something tangible to hold on to. And I felt like the Lord said, get a shoebox. Oh, yeah. Okay. So here we are months down from him, me asking, is there a shoebox in the treatment yeah. center? Yeah. Um, after I told my story, um, you know, and that was part of my obedience. It was yeah. just me being obedient to what he was putting in front of me and doing it, whether I was scared or not, just kind of yeah. like today, do it whether you're scared or not. Yeah. Um, about two weeks after that, um, I had asked, for a shoebox, you know, and I had told my counselor, I think God told me to get a shoebox. Yeah. So, um, you know, one day I went in there and I asked for a shoebox. I had already told my story. I was praying on trying to name my name, my daughter that I had aborted. Um, and Dave Brown in charge of donations at place of hope said, we've, we've got a couple shoeboxes. Mm -hmm. So he brings me out this shoebox and I brought it with me. Yeah. Um, can we see it? Yes. Yeah. He brings me out this shoebox yeah. that I look at it. Yeah. And it has my name. Yep. My name on it. Yeah. So me and my counselor are standing there and I'm saying, see, I wasn't crazy. I heard yeah, the Lord. Yeah. Um so I was just tore up over getting the shoebox. Yeah. Um I went on to my room to get ready for the day. And while I'm in the shower, the whole, there was just this plain as day, the Holy Spirit. So didn't you, didn't you know that I didn't you notice, didn't you notice that I named her? Yeah. Like this right here was another display of his love. Yeah. He knew I wanted to name her. Yep. Um, so we looked up Katie um, nickname from Catherine hmm. So we looked up what was what does Catherine mean? Yeah. Innocent. Innocent. Yeah. Pure and blameless. Wow. Um, so look, if anybody hears anything about my story, while I struggle with God believing that he loved me, yeah. like he loved me enough yeah. and cared enough about my desire to name my child. Yeah that he just went and picked it out for me yeah, yeah. and named her a perfect name. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty wild. It's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yes. Um, um, from there, I ended up, I ended up in a class in place of hope. Um, it was about somebody doing an outside class from save one. Yeah. Um, it's abortion healing and, I ended, I was the only one out of about 40 people in treatment that ended up in this class. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't by coincidence. I yeah. was supposed to be in that class and I got certified to teach or lead co-lead, um, an abortion recovery class mm -hmm. that where for women that have had abortions that it's a process of healing through scriptures, yeah. other women's story. It's, it's like a Bible study. Yeah. Um, and I went on to do a couple of those, um, classes co-lead i think we did three of them before covid hit and oh, then yeah. it kind of shut everything down yeah, yeah. Wow. so um god's good yeah that's awesome um 
Yeah, and that's what. Uh, well, first I'll touch on this story because I think this is the shoe boxes, uh, super cool one. I mean, that just goes to show you um, that God knows us, you know, before He even forms us in the womb. Um, and not only does He know us, but He, you know, He has a purpose for our life. And um, oh man, it, I mean, it, there's just so many flaws in the pro-abortion argument that it's not a human life. Um, and you know, not only is it a physical human life and flesh, um, which, you know, you, you painfully understand, uh, but it's a spirit that God has created. Um, and so as, you know, as our country continues to not only allow, but propagate and advocate for, uh, this continued practice of murder in the womb. Um, I, I think, I mean, people need to understand and, and we need to educate our children really and our daughters right. uh, that that yes. is a human life in the womb uh, that you are ending. And, uh, you know, that cannot be, uh, that cannot be overvalued. Um, and, and that's super important. And then the second piece I wanted to touch on was the, the work that you're doing afterward, because I think that a lot of mothers could get stuck um, kind of in a place you were before where um they don't know what to do next or they, uh, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're just not sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really important piece for, for our audience uh, and for people who may listen uh, to know is that not only, you know, will God pull you through it, but he's going to use you as well. Yes. And that's what we see a lot is uh, in your stories is a perfect example of uh, not only did God put you in that place uh, and, you know, to, to save you, but he also brought you out and, and has a plan for your life for you to use it. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, when I left outside churches would come into place, I hope, and I knew you know, I knew upon leaving Place of Hope and, and moving out on my own yeah. um, that my number one priority was being involved in a local church yeah. um, where I could get to know people and they could get to know me. We had um, a, a church came in on a Saturday to, you know, they would bring the word in and they would have prayer with us. Um, and, and I knew before I left place of hope that God was pointing me to this church. I knew that this is the church he was sending me to, you know, I didn't have any doubt. Um, You know, he saw what, he saw what I didn't see by sending me to this church. Um, I ended up about a year and a half into being at that church and I gave my testimony quite a bit at church. Um, they knew my story. They, they loved me. I got with the best little women. Um, they loved me. Um, they, they supported me, nurtured me in, in my walk, um, trained me. And, um, in March of 2020, 2021, Mm -hmm. I got a phone call from our worship leader and she said, Kelly, I have a girl that's pregnant. I have a teenager. She's pregnant. She's got the money for the abortion in her hand. All she needs is a ride and she's trying to get her grandparents to take her. Will you just go talk to her? Yeah. Yes. Um, so we show up, um, we go to her house and, and she's precious and she's terrified. Um, you know, that the daddy's family says get an abortion. Yeah. Um, 
It's where she got the money from. She's scared. She's terrified. Um, and I told her my story. I told her about having an abortion. I told her to the torment. I went through following the abortion. I told her about the alcohol, the drugs. And I, and I told her if there was one thing I could change in my life, this would be it. Because yep. you can't undo. Yep. I couldn't bring her back to life. 100%. She's alive with Jesus. Yeah. But I couldn't bring her back to life. Yeah. Um, so we, I, I, God used my testimony in, in that moment to, to minister to this young lady and, and, you know, even to her grandparents. And um, a few months later, I got a, I got a message from her. Um, and she had decided to keep her baby. Yep. And, I went to the gender reveal. Yeah. Um, she was going to have a boy. Um, she ended up having him this past October. Yep. So like God used my mess, yeah. my message yep. to help somebody else Absolutely. to save a baby, Yeah. but also to save this girl. young girl from, you know, from destruction. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's so many people, you know, the thing, the thing about, you know, even like in the church setting, there's so many people, one, I mean, 3.8 women, one out of every 3.8, almost let's just say four, yeah. one out of every four. So if you take a church building and you look out there at the number of women that could possibly be sitting there suffering yeah. because of abortion, yeah. um, you know, I showed up, you know, I asked, this is one thing that I talk to God a lot about. Um, you know, I, I want to be obedient in what he's putting before me to do. Yeah. Um, I know that um, he knew Carly and Isaiah, her little boy, yeah. were, were going to need my testimony. Yep. He saw them before I knew them. Yep. Um, you know, he was lining all of that up. You know, we, you know, what I learned more and more that walking with God, that things aren't happening by accident. There's yeah. on, everything's yeah. like happening on purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, while I was at place of hope, that was that, that car, um, Carly and Isaiah, the, the young lady and, and the baby that, um, I still talk to him to this day. Yeah. Um, you know, I prayed a prayer in treatment. You know, I grieved my baby in treatment. I went through all of it. Um, but I prayed a prayer in treatment that that God would, God, if you'll just use me to yeah. save one baby yeah. and one mom, yeah. um, if you'll just use me, just just do that for me, God. So yeah. so last year, that's that was one more prayer that yeah, I've prayed that he answered. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's what, you know, one thing I want to highlight from that is that, uh, like you and I met down at Planned Parenthood mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we do some abortion ministry and, and, you know, you're on this path that God has set you on to, mm -hmm. uh, to stop young mothers or, you know, to intervene. Um, and our friend, Scott, uh, I, I, you haven't met him yet, but uh, he's the one who kind of coordinates a lot of the uh, right. abortion ministry in Nashville. Um, I think they're at they're probably close to like 365, maybe somewhere around there, uh, baby saves right now. Yeah. And I promise you out of 
every single one of those young mothers, uh, not a single one has regretted right. keeping the baby. Yes. Uh, not a single one has regretted going through, you know, with the birth and, and uh, the things that have followed. And, you know, part of that is, I think, uh, the resources that the church is, is providing sure them on the backside for yeah. sure. Uh, you know, compare that with the statistics of um, people who go through with abortion and end up regretting it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're t- it is, you know, exponentially higher. Uh, it's wild how many, not wild. It's not surprising how many, how many women struggle with, uh, suicide and drugs and alcohol and depression and things like that afterward, because, um, they know, you know, at at the end of the day, they know what they've done. Um, but no mother who ever keeps her child rather than going through abortion regrets it, not a single one. Um, and I would be hard pressed to find a single mother who, who regrets that. Um, Two last things I want to talk about here um, as we sort of wrap up. Um, number one, uh, if you're a church out there right now and you're listening, or if you go to a church or you're a member of a church, or really if you're just a believer at all, um, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning. The number one way that you can prevent abortion is by um, being a church that is so loving that young women can come and they know that they'll be taken care of whenever they come to you. Um, that is, that is 100% my sort of line for, uh, talking to churches about abortion is that, you know, obviously we do abortion ministry. Like we're, uh, we go down to Planned Parenthood. We intervene with mothers. We share the gospel with them. We tell about the dangers. We do all of that. But even more importantly than that is being a church who young mothers can come to in a time of crisis and know that they will be loved and cared for, uh, that they will be provided, you know, whatever resources necessary, that they will uh, not be shamed by the people in that church or by the pastor that the pastor, nobody's going to reject you if you come to this church, you know? Um, And really that's what my message here for churches is, is if you are a member of a church or a leader in a church, you must create a climate and environment and a culture inside of your church where people who are going through a crisis in their lives, whether that be abortion or addiction or poverty or homelessness or whatever it is, because again, just like you mentioned, this is what people think that they have to get clean or they have to look clean to walk into a church. If your church is a place where people think that they have to walk in looking in their Sunday best, uh, that they have to walk in being this perfect presentation of a human, uh, then your culture and your church has a serious, serious problem. Uh, and you need to change it because that is not what is going to stop abortion. It's not Mm -hmm. what's going to prevent drug addiction or homelessness or anything like that. Being a church that truly loves everybody that's there and everybody that comes through that door, no matter what their situation is, what's going to prevent all of those issues. Um, And then the second point, and I'll probably end on this is um, I just want to highlight the importance of um, educating both women and men, really, because like you said, a lot of times it's, it's uh, you know, it could be the fathers or it could be somebody, you know, in the family of the father, if, if it's around teens or that kind of thing, but educating women and men uh, about all the things that Planned Parenthood won't tell you. And that's probably going to be the title of, of this episode is what Planned Parenthood won't tell you, because yeah, uh, you mentioned torment uh, from the sound of the abortion, fear, pain, alcohol, drugs, uh, relationships, devastated, suicidal, all of these things, Planned Parenthood will not tell you no. any of that. Not only that, but uh, we've been down at Planned Parenthood and we've seen young mothers wheeled out on stretchers into an ambulance because abortions go wrong. Yeah. Lots of things go wrong with abortions very commonly. Uh, and time and time again, Planned Parenthood does not care about you. They don't love you. They're not looking out for you to be an, an right. empowered woman uh, like they claim. Yeah. What they want is your money and they are willing to kill your child to make that happen. Um, and so 
please, please, please educate young women, educate young men about what Planned Parenthood will not tell them. And that's that they are killing a, a human being inside of the womb. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly, thanks so much for coming on. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thanks Thank so much for your story. Me. Yep. God bless. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a review. Uh, if you ever want to reach out, you can find us anywhere on social media. And you can also send us an email at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.